Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. church. Today's reading is from Matthew 28 verses 1 to 20. After the reading I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying thanks be to God. Matthew 28 1 to 20. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they, took, they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciple, He has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you, will see, there you will see him, now I have told you. So the women hurried from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clapped his fist, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised their plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this is the story that has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for the reading, Jumoke. And once again, welcome to everyone on this special day. Okay, so um, we as with many Christians all around the world today, are celebrating Easter. Or better still, the resurrection of the founder of our religion, our faith, Jesus Christ. So the resurrection from the dead, this is what we are celebrating. Now, but as important as this event is for some of us, for, I would say many of us here, um, Lagos is a very cosmopolitan city. And it will be too... I would think almost silly to think that everyone has the same view um, about the resurrection, that it means the same thing to all of us. Now, though this is not an exhaustive categorization, let me think of three groups 
that we can identify here in Lagos in the way we, they relate to the resurrection. Maybe you are one of them. So the first group we can call the skeptical unbeliever. The skeptical unbeliever. You believe it's near impossible for such a thing to happen. And it's most likely something concocted by the early Christians. But, you know, the Christians of nowadays, they believe this irrational story because we all need religion. And it's comforting for us in very hard times. And you may be in the second group, which is the unchanged believer. I believe the resurrection happened. You have no reason to doubt it. You've been taught that right from when you were a child. But how does it put food on your table? How does it further your career? How does it get you that your long-awaited spouse? You see, yes, the resurrection is there, but it really doesn't have any bearing on your life. Because quite frankly, you don't really know what it means. Third, you may be what we call the worshipping believer. I believe it. It happened. It means something to you. It affects your life in some way. But you like to know more about it. Now, the passage we just read is the last chapter in the book of Matthew. Matthew was someone that recorded the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, the context is in the previous chapter, which was on Friday, in the previous chapter on Friday afternoon, Jesus was executed, and he was hung on a cross. Now, at that point, he had, for a number of years, gathered a number of followers, and there was a special band, 12 of them. At that point, his, their hopes, in which they believed that, um, because he claimed to be the Son of God, he claimed to be Israel's Messiah, and to be the Savior of the world. At that point, all their hopes were dashed. In fact, they abandoned him. They ran, as we say in Nigeria, helter-skelter, when they came to arrest him. And it's in this context that we then find that it says on the Sunday morning. So it's in the morning, as we see in chapter, in verse 1. It's in the context of the fact that this person has been executed in a very shameful, public manner. And so all those who had followed him and had hoped that he was the Savior of the world, the Son of God, Israel's Messiah, all of their hopes had been dashed. And later we read in all of in Matthew's accounts here that he rose from the dead. Now what I want to say with that is that on this first Easter morning, you can actually find a lot of parallels with what I just described as the people in, with the people in Lagos. Because there were a variety of reactions as well to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think the way Matthew has recorded it is going to help us address those three categories of Lagosians that are identified in the beginning. So, he had one answer to all of them, and the answer is, basically, he is the absolute king. But how this absolute king answer addresses each of those three categories, we will find out by looking at this sermon. So, we're going to categorize, or we're going to subdivide the sermon under those three headings. One, the absolute king and the skeptical unbeliever. Two, the absolute king and the unchanged believer. And three, the absolute king and the worshipping believer. All right. So, one, the skeptical unbeliever. Two, the, the um, unchanged believer. And three, the worshipping believer. So, let's go to the first one, the skeptical unbeliever. Now, after these dramatic events, um, 
in verses 1 to 10, when, you know, they went to the place, there was an angel, there was an earthquake, there was light, soldiers were afraid, all of those things. So now these women have news. But we are told in verse 11 that after all of those things, while the women themselves went to go and report the events, that the soldiers themselves also went to report the events to someone. So in verses 11 to 15, we are told that the guards went to report to the soldiers. Now, if you're here and you're an irrational, unbelieving skeptic, what you will be saying is this. Look, Christians believe, and I have Christians that are friends, you know, and we, we do a lot together. I work with some of them. In fact, I am under a Christian, and I do respect Christians in some ways as, in, as people. But I have to say that as a rational person, that Christians believe in an irrational, falsely constructed resurrection story. Whereas, I'm a logician. I believe in logic. So you Christians believe in a story. Well, if I was to take that view to Matthew, Matthew would say that you are the one that believes in a story. Because here you can see in verse 12, the chief priests had met the elders and devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money. And verse 13, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. So Matthew would say, the joke is on you. You say that you're a rational person, but we don't think that you are rational enough. Let me give you two reasons why the, um, the excuse that Christians actually believe a concocted story cannot be true. But before I even give those two reasons, let me say this. Let's even think about it slightly philosophically. It's impossible to say that the resurrection is impossible. It's impossible to say the resurrection is impossible. Why do I say that? Two things. One, let us say, grant, just grant Christians this. Let us say that there was a God. All right? Let's say there was a God, and that God created the world. Right? There was a time there was nothing, and all of a sudden, this world that we see that is fantastic, it now exists, right? That God must be a bit powerful, isn't it? Right? Yeah. Right? It must be full of many, you know, abilities. Now, if that God created the world, do you think it's too difficult for that God to do a resurrection? Now, again, I'm just saying grant the premise that there is a God. If that God created the world, then he can and he creates the laws. He is not subjected to his own laws. So at some point he can decide, I want to violate my laws, sometimes with miracles occasionally. And one miracle will be to resurrect someone from the dead. All right, but you say, but I don't believe in that. Okay, you don't believe in the God. All right, fine. So if you don't believe in this God, let me ask you. How did everything come to be that we see? Well, you would say, since I don't believe there is a God, it just happened. Right? Circumstance. It was an unfortunate or fortunate, depending on where you are in life. It, was, um, it just happened. A random thing happened. And all of a sudden, all of these things that we see are here. And I'll say, fine. If we grant that premise that everything that we see just happened, then, how can you turn around and say that a resurrection cannot just happen? How do you move from a place where of certainty, where we know how things, 
Well, no. We know how things happen if there is a God, and the God then says, I can make a resurrection. Now, if you say, we don't know how things happen, then you cannot guarantee that tomorrow you know exactly what will happen. So it is impossible, whether you grant that there is a God, or you grant that there is no God, to say that the resurrection is what? Impossible. But if we take what Matthew is talking about, especially with the fact that this thing was a story, let me think of, let me tell you two things um, that Matthew will say is not right, how it cannot be a story. The first one is liars don't make good matters. Now, what do I mean by that? How many of us here have lied? Oh, no, put it this way. How many of us have never lied? Raise up your hand. Well, he knows. He knows he's just lied, all right? So how many of us have lied? Raise your hand. If you've lied, if you've lied, if you lied, raise up your hand. If you are not raising up your hand, you are lying. Raise up your hand. Eh? He said he knows him no more after the flesh. How many of us have concocted a real lie? So now it's not just you lying. You have to bring in someone else to contribute to that lie, right? So eh, this morning, ah, some people are here. You see, it's not coming out. I should you too. All right. If you've concocted a lie, if you, you lie first. I was, one of the first things I learned when I was growing up is, if you lie, you have to lie again to keep that lie going, isn't it? Then if you have to bring in more than one person to lie, you know, once you tell somebody the lie, the chances that the lie is going to come out or the truth is going to come out has just increased. If you bring in three people or four people, the chances are really, really hard if you've concocted a lie. Hmm. How many of us have heard of what we call the Watergate scandal? Watergate. Watergate happened, Watergate scandal was um, a political event that rocked the United States government in the early 70s. Richard Nixon, a Republican, was the president of the United States. And eventually what happened was his administration, the scandal was his administration denied any involvement any involvement in the breaking in of the opposing party, the Democratic National Convention's headquarters. Five men broke into it, and his administration said they had nothing to do with it. Eventually, the place was bugged, and they said they had nothing to do with it. Now, this was not true. There was a guy called Charles Colson, or Chuck Colson, who was part of that, um, of Nixon's um, um, uh, administration. And here is what? I'm a sellout. He's a sellout. Okay. We'll find out. So he was, he was part of that administration. And here is what. He wasn't a Christian at the time. And here is what Chuck Colson says. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? He said, because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. <laughs> you are telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible, because you and I know if there are three of us that are lying, all we need to do is to separate the three of us. Ifemi, Taiwo, and Yemi come together and they, they devise a lie. 
against me, the man of God of the house. All I would just do is to call Taiwan and say, yeah, me, I sold you out for a pot of porridge. Half a pot. He won't give the whole pot. But all I just need you to do now, to save yourself, let us catch Femi. I'm serious. Yemi said this and said this. And Taiwan just say, that guy, I knew he would sell me out. <laughs> let me tell you, all the thing he told you is not even, let me tell you all that went up. So you can either use duress, you can use deception. One way or the other, you will be able to find the truth out. And furthermore, you should ask, how is it that people who, if you read the whole book of Matthew, you will find out that these apostles, many times, you know, all they were just interested in was power, that this guy is going to come and overthrow the Roman Empire, and we are going to be governors. You can be king, but we will be governors. You understand? That is, they will have reached, like when they asked their father, the bad guy, what is his ambition in life? He said, I just want to be chairman. And they were going to be more than chairman. And so that was what they were thinking about. So at one point, Jesus called them and said, guys, um, who do you say that I am? He said, ah, that you are the, you are, you are the, uh, who do men say that I am? And they said this prophet, they said that prophet, blah, blah. But who do you say I am? Peter came and said, <laughs> you are the son of God, the Messiah. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. Then Jesus now said, as the Messiah, I am going to be crucified. And, you know, I'll be under the chief priest. They will crucify me. I'm going to suffer. He said, that should never happen to you. And now, from one point, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. He now said, get thee behind me, what? Satan. The guy moved from being under the spirit to under the influence of Satan. I hope that's not some of us here today. And the point was this. Each time Jesus told them that he was going to die, they did not want to hear it. It was never in their plans. So that when Jesus was executed like a mere criminal, they all what? Ran away. They were scared. They were scared. They were hiding and all of those things. Now, how did people who were scared when he was alive... How all of a sudden did they transform to people who at the risk of their lives started to spread the good news that he was alive if he was really dead? Do you understand what I'm saying? They were fearful when he was alive and he was moving around. Now he is dead and now they want to be spreading the news. Look, it is possible, and you've met many people, I have met many people who will give their lives for a lie. They have. They, they give their lives for a lie. You see, you say, this thing doesn't make sense. It is untrue. They sacrifice themselves for it. But this is the point. No one ever sacrifices himself for what he knows is actually a lie. It may not be true, objectively, but the person believes that what? It is true. In other words, liars don't make good martyrs. Here's the second thing, and this is quite important. In fact, let me, let me say one more thing about this. Paul tells us, like, let's be honest. If you had, if someone, if you knew something that wasn't true, you wouldn't give yourself. Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 15 that, look, if Christ is not really risen from the dead, if he's really not risen from the dead, 
This is 1 Corinthians 15, 32-32. He says, why am I suffering every day? I have fought with brute beasts. He was talking about men. People that don't actually believe in it and they have persecuted me. They've done all of these things. I have fought with brute beasts in Ephesus. He said, look, if Christ is not risen from the dead, I have other better things to do with my life. Why not we eat, drink, let's be merry because we know what? Tomorrow we... That is, this whole life is all that there is. Why am I fighting? You think about it. It is not true. The man is not alive. Paul had a fantastic career in Judaism. He put everything away just to... For a lie. That he knows it's a lie. Say with me, it makes no sense. It doesn't. Now, let me grant this to you a second. That the story or the theory, there are other quote-unquote objections, but the most plausible theory of whether the resurrection, of the fact that resurrection didn't happen, is the story of the stolen body. It's the most plausible one. There are some that say that, well, he resurrected in in their hearts. They they hallucinated or they spawned. That's nonsense because he appeared to 500 people at the same time at one point. But I think the story of this body being stolen is the best. They said that tell the people that uh, the disciples came to steal the body while we were asleep. I'm serious. This is the best argument. But can I say this before we even debunk it a little bit? Did you see the contradiction in that argument? Did you see it? All right. He said, tell them that the disciples came and stole the body while what? They were what? But they knew who came to steal it. They were asleep sleepwalking. Or maybe they had vision as the thing was happening. They were actually seeing it. I mean, there's a, there's a manifest contradiction in it. But let us grant that this, let's grant they had superpowers. Let's grant that an angel came and told them after. To steal it, there are three things that are there. One, there is the tomb issue. We are told in the previous chapter, 65 to 66, that they sealed it very well. There's the tomb, there's the soldiers, there's the disciples. This tomb, the soldiers, and the disciples. So in 27 verse 65 66, we find that they sealed it very well. They even put, uh, said, go take a guard. Pilate answered, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now, this seal, this stone that covered, is something in the region of about 1,350 to 1,800 kilograms. Kilograms, or not grams. 1,350 to 1,800 kilograms. Uh, 1,800 kilograms. You Niger people that like to travel, you, and you know you know what you are trying to do, 23 kg. But you're 23 kg, you get there and somehow, eh, 29 kg. I don't know what happened. I don't know. There's nothing there. It's just yam. It's just uh, kid. I don't know. So you know what 29 kg is. The stone is 1,000, at least 1,350 kg. All right? For them to close it, eh, they have to roll it down a slope. All right, that's the first thing, the stone. Then let's talk about the disciples. I've already said the disciples were fearful. The disciples were not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. 
It wasn't like on Friday came, and after Friday, like on Saturday, with them, don't worry, he's coming. He's going to resurrect on Sunday. It's a lie. They were trying to run away. All right? So people that are running away, all of a sudden think, ah, but we forgot to. Let's carry this body. Do you know what it is in those days to actually carry a body and run for miles, and you think nobody is going to catch you? All right. And then there's the third. There's the soldiers. Now, these soldiers have to be totally inept, right, for this thing to be pulled off. They, are, they must be tired. But these soldiers were well-trained guards. They're not like our, you know, Niger guards. You know those ones that, uh-huh, not those types. They are not like that. Is you know your house that somebody came upstairs and you guys didn't know? <laughs> All right, sorry, sorry. I don't want to get personal. It's not, uh, but... All right, so, they are... These were soldiers. Plus, plus, we read in Acts chapter 16, if you allow prisoners or if you allow things that you are meant to secure, if they go away, not only you may be flogged or you may actually be killed. Paul and Silas were in a prison. Eventually, something similar. An angel came, freed the prison doors. And all the prisoners went out. And when the jailer found out that the prisoners had gone, he was about to take a sword to kill himself. So when these soldiers are giving this story, that please, oh, this is the story you have to circulate, the soldiers will have thought, you people must be insane. And that's why the chief priest said, come, come, come. Take this. We got this from a monkey and a snake. Take this. They had to what? Bribe them. Why? Because the story was absolutely ridiculous and it meant that they may risk their lives. And so they were thinking, my family, okay, if may I die, at least we can use this one. My pension didn't really mature. We can give this to our family. That is the point. So you are telling me that for us to believe that, we have to imagine fearful disciples came back while the well-trained soldiers were sleeping to move a 1,350 or 1,800 kg stone quietly and take time to unwrap the body. My friend, that is too much blind faith for me to believe. I don't have enough faith to believe that kind of thing. And neither should you. That's a story. And it's made clear here that this was a story that was concocted. This is the best argument. I am not saying that there is no probability that it happened. I am saying that you, will you put your money to invest in that kind of probability? No, we wouldn't. You see, it's more likely the events happen just as it is told to us here. That is what makes the most sense. And there's even one more thing that should show you that these people weren't rushing to just believe a made-up story. Look at verse 17. When Jesus actually appears to them, he says, when they saw him, they worshipped, but what did he say after? But somewhat, a better word is hesitated. They were hesitant. If you were a propagandist, someone did that put in, you know, you are trying to, like, if you take during the Civil War, both sides had their propagandists, right? People that will be writing and just trying to big up. If you are a propagandist and you are trying to big up your own side of the story, why would you put that there? That some were hesitant. 
You should say, oh, just like the women, they were so filled with joy. And they all just worship. Finally, he has returned. But some haven't had their hopes dashed before. Like Thomas in the John's account of this, I'm not going to, I'm not sure. <laughs> I will believe it when I put my hand inside. When Jesus, when Jesus said, oh, when he said to Jesus, I will believe it when I put my hand inside. Did Jesus say, ah, sorry, Thomas, if you don't believe, that's your problem. Look at me here. You still want to put your hand inside. No, he gave him what? Evidence. Go ahead, put your hand inside. And so some of them were hesitant before they went and started worshipping him. Why would he put it there? It doesn't make his story. He can't embellish his story. Embellishing his story will be to remove that. But he puts it there precisely because that is what happened. Sociologists have studied this. Many of them that are not believing, they say, look, all these other stories, we can't be sure it happened. But here's what we know. That there had to be something, there's a professor in Yale said, there has to be something that happened in the early Christian faith that was so dramatic that provided the latent energy for these guys to explode, or else we cannot really explain the religion and how we started. To which we say, oh yeah, we know what happened. He's alive. He was dead, but he's what? Alive. All right. That's for the skeptical unbeliever. Point two, the absolute king and the unchanged believer. Have you ever heard something so often that it loses its profound meaning to you? For instance, just last week, did you know that 107 people were reported to have been killed and buried in Zamfara State? Just last week. How does that make you feel? Now, I'll tell you exactly how it makes you feel. I can see it with your eyes. Wow. 107. And then your next emotion is this. Wow, that's, a real, that's sad. And next, your emotion is this. But life moves on. It's the truth. Why? Because on a daily basis, in fact, you can't even keep the records. On a daily basis, we're hearing in Bono, in Yobe, in Zamfara now, in Sokoto, in Benue. We hear it over and over and over again. The news keeps coming. Eventually, it loses its profound effect on us. Now, understand, it is not that these stories of constant killing makes human life lose its infinite worth. No. But because of the incessant killings, it's our undervaluation of human life that becomes the problem. We've heard it so many times that all of a sudden, like, eh, you know, it's statistics. They become 107 statistics. We now start to undervalue human life. So many of us Christians have undervalued the resurrection too because we've heard it so many times. What does it mean? Well, if you confess that Lord Jesus Christ and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I remember when I was in university, many times people used to come and meet me. They want to share the gospel. I used to enjoy doing this. Basically, once they start, they'll say, um, you know, they have this tactic, well, where, where will you be tomorrow if you, if you die? You know, after... I, so when I was not in a very good mood, when I was in a very good mood, I'll say, where? Tomorrow? Ah, I'll be in hell. Like, you'll be in hell? I said, yes. How does that make you feel? Do you have any other thing to say? He said, well, I, I know a way out. I said, I know that way out. He said, do you know it? I said, yes. Yeah. I said, 
if I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior? He said, yes. Do you want him to be your personal Lord and Savior? I said, no. He said, he will be your Lord. Life will be good for you. Life is already good for me. It's better for me than it is for you. I knew all the answers on how to present the gospel because I had been taught it from a child. And for many of us, that's the way the resurrection is. I know it. He rose on the third day. But the truth is that it doesn't really, zero effect on our lives. Notice in verse 4, who, not, who saw what happened? Verse 4 says, the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Verse 11, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that what had happened. The guards themselves believed. What did they go and report? The women went to report something. The guards also saw it. They also believed. And yet, as they believed, they were able to take bribe. On the same day. At least some of us are better. Right? <laughs> you, take, you go to church on Sunday. That gives you enough guilt. So you only collect the bribe on Monday. <laughs> but it's really the same. You confess that Jesus has risen from the grave. But at the same time, you keep living a life of sin. Why? Because the resurrection, though you believe it, you really don't believe it. It is possible to believe something theoretically and not believe it experientially. In other words, you don't believe. The Bible says that you believe there is one God. Good. The eight demons also believe that there is one God. They also tremble. But demons are not saved, are they? There is a belief that is credo. I know how to say it. I, I know all the different points, but there is a belief that goes down into your heart. The, the, the guards did not believe it in a way that changed them. Are you like that? In that you take the point of the resurrection at face value. A couple of years ago, the, um, so around this time in the West generally, when Easter comes, that's when people like National Geographic now start throwing out all these theories about how there was another book that was written, but that Christians somehow, you know, subjugated that book, the Christian church of that time, and it really proves to us that Jesus was not risen. They come up with some kind of theory, and they give it some nice names. Like, do you know what an ossuary is? Ossuary. Do you know what it is? Right? So when you say, hey, there was an ossuary, yeah, hey, we believed in Veno. You don't even know what an ossuary is, but it sounds, it sounds very, very sophisticated. So they come up with all these things. So I was watching it. I was, um, at this point, I was, in a house, I was in the house of a relative. So the person now said, look, why are you watching these things? I said, ah, I'm watching it now to know whether or not I have believed in vain. I want to, I want to really know the evidence of this thing. And I said, I said, or you, you don't want to know. He said, no, he doesn't need to know. I said, okay, what if they actually truly prove that Jesus was not risen from the dead? He said, that doesn't mean anything to him. He will still be a Christian. I said, ah. You will still be a Christian. He said, yes, because the historicity of it for him doesn't really matter. It's what it means to him. I said, oh, there's no problem that you only have just one small problem, the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Paul says this in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still what? 
in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, we have all people to be pitied. In other words, he's saying that the history of the resurrection matters because of the theology that he points to. And when we just, well, Jesus rose from the dead, without really understanding what that means to us, little wonder why our lives are not changed. It goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, it said, but in fact, that is, by fact, if you're a fact person, in fact, Christ is what? Raised from the dead. We must understand the reason for the history. It was, uh, for the history of it, it was the most pivotal event of all of history. But do you know why? Because it matters for every hour, every minute, and every second of your life. And the third group knew this. And so we turn to them. The absolute king and the worshipping believers. Now, I just told you about the killings in Zamfara, and that's one thing. But I'm sure that here, there are some of us that have personal challenges. If you're on constant medication for pains or for a particular illness, or if you, have it, if you are in need of a job, or you want a better job, or you want an improving marriage, or you want to be married, or you want a better relationship with God, or right now you are suffering because something is happening to a loved one, or you are frustrated with life's constant obstacles. Raise your hand. If you belong in any of these categories, raise up your hand. You want me to read it again? Yeah, no, we're, not, we're, we're never really satisfied. There's always something we are going through. And that's why we need hope. Growing up in my childhood, some of us will say this. I still think it was the best election campaign that was done in Nigeria was 93. Hope 93. On the march again. On the march. Looking for Mr. President. On the march. MKO. Is the man no. Uh, Stop, 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 stop. This is not a campaign for him. We are not trying to raise him from the dead. Jesus is already risen from the dead. He was, this was M.K. Abiola. He was running for SDP. He was running with SDP. There was another guy called Bashir Tofa, NRC. In fact, some of the people that are running MKO's campaign, they said, let's be tough. Don't make it Tofa. <laughs> and one of the things, what was Abiola running on? The campaign was given just two words. The year and one word. Hope. 93. Hope. Such a powerful thing. The reason why we hold on, despite all our circumstances, is that we hope. Take away hope. And all that is left is misery, despair, and most people end it with suicide. And so as we think of the problems that we have, some of it economic in this country, the next election cycle is coming. What are you hoping for? We hope that we will elect a very good leader. A leader that can deal 
with all the enemies, our enemies of unemployment, our enemies of ill health, and enemies of bad economic conditions. That's the first hope. Let me tell you two other hopes. We hope for a good leader that will deal with our enemies. But we've also seen, some of us will know that, having the leaders is not enough. In fact, sometimes the leaders are overwhelmed by the problems. And so some of us almost moved to despair that it really doesn't matter who we elect. These problems are going to remain. The legacy issues of colonialism and all of that is too much. But even while you are doing that, you still imagine that, ah, it would be nice to be able to buy Ashoebi every time I am put, it's brought forward to me. It would be nice to live in Banana Island. It would be nice to not have any sickness. It would be nice for the church members to just do as I tell them. <laughs> oh, it would be nice. It would be nice if my wife just knew her place. Didn't the Bible just say that women should be? And they should what? Why can't they understand? We're always imagining. You know what we imagine? Basically, we imagine another world. Our imagination is filled with a world that we think is better. We hope through our imagination for another world. The second hope. There's a third hope though. Some of us will say, look, I don't spend time thinking about how my conditions can be improved. In fact, I thank God that my conditions are okay. I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Many of the things that I like and I want, I can get everything. My problem is boredom and a lack of purpose. This job, I basically press the button, profit comes out. I'm supporting so many people, everything is working. But I am bored. I feel like I am lacking in purpose. You want to be part of something that transcends you, that is bigger than you. You are hoping for a grand, meaningful mission. So we're either hoping for a leader that can deal with our enemies, we are hoping for another world, or we hope for a new mission. Do you know why the believers in verse 8 and verse 9 who are worshipping Jesus, do you know why they were filled with joy? Because they know that these three hopes find their fulfillment in Jesus' resurrection. See, in Jesus' resurrection, we have a new king, a new world, and a new mission. A new king, a new world, and a new mission. New king. Now, Matthew's book is written to show his readers that Jesus is Israel's promised Messiah, Israel's promised king. That's why the book opens with a genealogy that ties Jesus to Abraham, that shows that Abraham is the father of Israel, but ties Jesus also in the lineage of David. So he is Israel's king. But if you read chapter 27 to the end of chapter 27, where they are hailing him as king of Jews, mocking him, and eventually he is buried, you cannot really... Look at him and say, this is the promised Messiah. The guy that is meant to rule Israel? Nah. Look at him. Not possible. However, look at verse 18. What does it say? 
Then Jesus came to them and said what? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. After his resurrection, Jesus shows that the sphere of his authority, because if you say heaven and earth, it's now not just Israel, is it? Heaven and earth, that is, his authority is over the whole universe. He is Israel's promised Messiah because he is the one, according to the book of Matthew, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done where? As it is where? All authority in heaven and what? Earth has been given to me. They were focusing on a little parcel of land in the Middle East. He was talking about the whole of the universe. And he's saying that in the state he was before the resurrection, that could never happen. Because come to think about it, we want a leader that will deliver us from, as I said, economic uh, stagnation. We want better public health system because illness is an enemy. Poverty is an enemy. But you don't expect Buhari to come and solve your marriage problems. But put all of this together. Let's all say your marriage is going well. Let us say you are prospering economically. Let us say you are able to take forever living products and it's making you forever living, almost. <laughs> Put all of those things together. There's one enemy that you cannot cheat. No one has ever won against this enemy. You can move the average age of your country from 40 to 70 and from 70 to 90. Eventually, all men go the way of the grave, except Jesus Christ. Because in the resurrection, what you have is that Jesus defeats death at death's own game. What we have on the cross and the resurrection is the death of death in the death of the Son of God. Death itself becomes arrested because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Do you see, there is no sphere where Jesus' authority is not his rule and reign is not over. If he can rule and reign over death, then how can he not rule and reign over the circumstance in your life? The resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us that the long-awaited king, whose authority we need to defeat all our enemies, has happened. Amen? Amen. His authority is completely over every sphere. We also think about the new world. In the resurrection, you know, sometimes you have some problems. I don't know how many of us have. We had this AC in the office. They told me. They actually told me. If you want to buy AC, just buy Panasonic. You know? Buy Panasonic. So this is 2016. Just buy Panasonic. Eh, but Panasonic won. It's very expensive, you know, at that time. So what happened was, okay, I felt, yes, all this Samsung, Samsung is bad. Sorry, does anybody work for Samsung here? Sorry, I'm really sorry. If you do, just change, change your job, right? Go, go to Panasonic. So I done Samsung. We knew Samsung wasn't bad. We have mustered up the, the wheel. Eh? Eh, sorry, Samsung was not good. Right? They said it's aluminum, not copper, you know all these things, right? So we must have the courage, Yemi and Francis had said, yes, go ahead, you can buy it. You can buy the Panasonic. 
So one day I was passing by, I think I went to buy, and I saw LG. I said, ah, LG is not bad. Though. So I went into the shop, I was dazzled, look at the TVs, look at the fridge, all of it was just pumping. And then I saw this AC. They now put all these, you know, this econ, kidney, it also fights malaria, it's, you know, fighting gonorrhea, fighting AIDS, everything. And the guy called me, no, it wasn't a guy, it's always women, they always put there. I said, come and see it. You know, and the thing was really pumping. I said, bring it for me. You know when you have money, that's when you talk anyhow, right? I've been, they're giving me approval. And the LG, the Panasonic was like 219. The LG was 173,000. I said, hey, we are managing the, 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 the resources very well. Give me the LG and put it in my car. I brought it there. Dami was there, loaned the thing, called the AC guy, he put it there. And the thing was, pump, it was pumping, it was fine. After a couple of months, he gave his first problem. <laughs> you know, you go, you say, ah. You know, you put, you put your hand, you do like this. <laughs> Then you look at the, ah, it's 16, no? It's actually 16 and it's cool. Then you now start pressing the button for, there's nothing else. 16 is the lowest. <laughs> so I said, there's a side problem. Called the, the AC guy, he did the servicing. It was going again. Another one month, he now started. So after battling with it for like three or four months, the AC guy now said, sir, the, what we need to do is, we'll change the condenser. <laughs> you know, the Yoruba guy in Aola. I'm a chain condenser, condenser. Something in me started saying, Femi, you have goofed. You have kidding. But the guy said, no. How much is the condenser? 60,000. Ah! The thing was doing me like this. I was, Ola, Ola, you, this condenser will work. He said, look, let me explain to you. The condenser I'm getting, this AC is two horsepower. The condenser is three horsepower. Ola, it will work, Abi. Say yes, don't worry. Omar, Omar, wa perfect. That's what he said. It will be perfect. Put it there. I traveled. Put the, put the condenser. The last thing I did, came back. When I came back, the first thing I went to do, I just entered the office. Poof! What's happening? I went there. Three horsepower. I started doing like this again. <laughs> I called the guy. The guy, is, he serviced it. He, he started saying, we, the day he now said, we need to buy something. I just got up. I didn't even ask. I went to a Panasonic shop. Please give me that AC. <laughs> Sometimes, some problems that we have, you cannot keep repairing and repairing and repairing. The injustice and the lack of peace in this world, we should do all that we can to solve it, but eventually, we don't need to be repairing the world's problems. We need another world. Change the LT and bring in a Panasonic. Eventually, Jesus says, look, what you really need is not just the salvation of your souls, you need the redemption of your body. And this, I have proven, is going to happen because I have been, what? Risen from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Jesus, as in Adam, all die, but in Christ, all shall be made, what? Alive. But Jesus Christ himself is the first fruit of the resurrection. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we know that all believers, whether they are dead now, they will rise again. Paul tells the Thessalonians when they are, when they are, they are, um, uh, they are mourning for the people that have died, he said, look, you should mourn, but not mourn as those that do not have hope. Because we know this, when the Lord shall return, 
those who are alive and remain shall not precede those who have already gone. They will raise, they will be raised up in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Eventually, take all the drugs, do all your massage, put all your makeup, you need a new body. And Jesus' resurrection has shown that that new body is coming. But not only that, his resurrection has shown in Romans 8, 19 to 21, it says, Just as I will resurrect and change and give you a new body, I will change this world again. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. You have a king with all authority, but he also gives us a new world. It is on that basis in 19. After saying, I am the risen king with all authority in heaven and the earth. He then says, go and make disciples of all nations. He gives you a new mission. A new purpose for living. You see, the problem is this. We live for so many other kings. These kings give us some, they have some authority in our life, but they don't have the authority of heaven and the earth. Tell me, whether it is the king of romance, it is the queen of uh, acquiring, acquiring more wealth. It is the, 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 the king of self-fulfillment. All of these things that drive us. You know one thing about all these kings? In order for you to get what you want from them, they say, give your life for me. This is the only king that says, go into all the whole world. Why? Because I gave my life for you. See, now, basically, what he's saying is this. Remember, the disciples came. They said they worshipped him. They worshipped him, and the people that worshipped him, he said, go into all the world. He puts them on a mission. Why? He's basically saying, as you are worshipping me, there are many other people that are not worshipping me. They become your mission field. So a preacher, John Piper, says, mission exists because worship does not. Because we want to make more worshippers. Because Jesus has punctured a hole in the world that divides this old world and the new world. He's saying, come, follow me. But as you are following me, bring others with you. That is a new mission for you to live. It's a purpose that says, yes, this world matters. But this world really matters ultimately because it doesn't ultimately matter. And so I ask, are you living under the authority of another king? A king that doesn't provide you with certainty? Are you living under the authority of a king that takes more and more of your life? Or are you living for a king who gave his life for you and now promises you a new life? In the resurrection, George Herbert, a poet, said that death, which used to be an executioner in the resurrection, simply becomes a gardener. And that when you think you are burying Christians, you are only planting them. The resurrection shows us a king who, though death used to arrest people, now arrests death in his own life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we love you so much. There is none like you. You who gave your life for us on Calvary's tree. And though everything seemed to be dark, 
though death and darkness seem to have won its way. We thank you that you rose again with our freedom in your hand. So that now that death has been arrested in your resurrection, all those who follow you have their new life beginning. We thank you, Lord. Help us to not just believe in Easter, the history of it, but to believe in the reason for it. We ask this through Jesus Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.